Welcome back to another episode of a Healthy Debate podcast with uh, myself, Blair Solberger, and Adam Hamid. We are a few episodes in now, so do we re- do we still need to do introductions? I'm Blair. I'm a dietitian. I live in Washington D.C. area. And I'm Adam, and I'm a trainer, and I live in Manchester from UK. Simple. Let's move on. I'm eating a bagel right now, so bear with me. I, I, my mouth will be full at times. You're making me jealous. <laughs> I, lo- I love bagels, man. <laughs> it's, it's do you remember that time on Clubhouse? Was you in that room where that guy was like, bagels are like the worst thing you can ever eat? The worst thing you could ever eat? He, so he said he followed this researcher, and um, this researcher basically put all foods on like, um, it, ga- it gave them a number, and the lower the number, the worse the food, and the higher the number, the better the food. And so I think, like, broccoli got, like, 700, which was, like, the highest number. And then, like, he said, like, a bagel got, like, one. And he goes, so you should never eat bagels. And I was like, hmm, interesting. The term researcher. We're at the point where research means joining a Facebook group. You know, so I'd, I'd like to see where this research came from and how he objectively quantified the health of a food. Someone just rated their food choices out of 700. Bagels are amazing. They're a great source of carbs. They have about, not a crazy amount, but 10 to 12 grams of protein per bagel, which is more than most carbohydrates. Fair. And they're just delicious. They make me happy. That's that's why there's a value to them is because they just are amazing. Make me feel good too. What are we talking about today, Blair? I know it's not bagels. No, oh, it, it, we're not doing a whole episode on bagels. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about the 80-20 concept that seems to be thrown around a lot. I think we're going to start with just what it means in general. Um, I think the most prominent use of it is it's 80% nutrition, 20% fitness in terms of weight loss. I think that one comes up a lot, which I think we could probably have a whole episode on. Um, But just kind of defining maybe where that came from and how to apply it, what it means, this 80-20 rule in health, we'll say. I don't actually know where it originated from, but I know it gets thrown around a lot these days, and um, I think it's quite big from a psychological point of view as well. So there's 80-20 nutrition to exercise. There's 80-20 work-lifestyle sort of balance. You know, a lot of people sort of do the the 5-2 diet, which is, you know, you're healthy for five days, and then you go wild on the weekends that's kind of not far away from it 80 20 is it no are you are you interested in the what google comes up with for Go the on. origin of it let's hear the 80 20 rule also known as the Pareto principle and applied in Pareto analysis was first used in macroeconomics to describe the distribution of wealth in italy in the early 20th century it was introduced in 1906 by italian economist vilfredo Pareto best known for the concepts of Pareto efficiency. So it's a macroeconomic tool or, or analysis. So Interesting. the principle is that 80% of consequences come from 20% of causes. Okay. I can see where that comes from, and I can see how it correlates into every other industry and how everyone else uses it. Obviously, we're taking something that was meant for you know, economics, macroeconomics, and, and justifying its application to other areas, but... I think that's that statement, 80% of consequences come from 20% of causes on average, is true. I think a lot of things that go wrong with people's 
health journeys, romantic lives, work life balance, you know, all this kind of stuff comes from a, a more common set of causes than we think. You know what? I don't think that's how most people understand the eighty twenty rule, though. I think a lot of people will take it as a lot of people will see it as I have to give something 80% and I have to give something else 20%. And that's typically how I use it with clients. Yeah. Because if it doesn't equal 100%, we're not happy. Life has to be 100%. And what I mean by that is not right now, this moment, but when people say relationships are 50-50 or should be 50-50, it's not 50% from both parties every single moment of the relationship. Sometimes I only have 20% to give, you know, sometimes the other person only has 20% to give. Sometimes we're both drained, but it's over time when one person is low, the other person's there to pick them up and vice versa. And it averages out to where you both feel like you're not being taken advantage of or giving more than the other person. But that doesn't necessarily equal 50-50. I think that's where 20% equals 80%. To your point that we're getting to is it's not exactly equal it's not exactly 50 50 it's not exactly 80 20 i think the point of the 80 20 principle with health and and fitness is that more often than not you should have some sort of focus or purpose more often than not you should pay attention to your nutrition like what is 80 percent quantify that what's 80 percent of a week 1.3 days you know like i mean it's yeah. It's it's a weird number. You know, I guess we should do it by one seventh instead of one fifth. Ultimately, I think the point, the principle of it is at its root, try to care more often than not about what you put into your body, what your routine is, etc. So, okay. Let's let's go back more to a fitness dynamic then. So, when why do people think that it's 80% nutrition and 20% exercise. Because I don't agree with those figures. I do at the beginning for weight loss. So I, once again, we need context. Mm. You know, I think weight loss is 80% nutrition, 20% fitness at the get-go. Because if your diet is absolutely horrid and you're working out, it's a much, much tougher sled than if you get diet in control and don't work out quite as much. I think once diet is in check and pretty well regulated, it's closer to 50-50. It's not 80-20 across the lifespan of it. It's that you can't outrun a bad diet and and trying to outlift or outrun a bad diet is throwing pebbles in the ocean. That's the point of that statement to me. See, if we go back to the whole, the statement that you said earlier, then I would personally say it's 10% nutrition and 10% exercise because we need to give 20% of our actions towards what we want to improve versus everyone gives it 100% and they can't sustain it. Well, so I think the the Pareto principle saying that like 80% of consequences come from 20% of causes, I think is more like 80% of negative downfall of something comes from a root cause analysis of of like a small vital few areas. It's not always negative though. I think it is. It's positive too. I mean, I, I do agree with you, but I think the original statement was about 80% of the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the population, power law distribution, an adage of business management, 80% of sales come from 20% of clients. I don't know enough about it to accurately say that 20% of the hazards account for 80% of the injuries in like ACA. I, I, I agree with the whole statement that 
you can't out-train a bad diet. So in that case, obviously, nutrition does have a bigger play. But so many people solely focus on nutrition, they actually forget where exercise has benefits for them as well. And not just in the context of, you know, weight loss or fat loss. I guess people are putting so much emphasis on weight loss that all they think about is nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Surprisingly, I was going to tell you this afterwards, but last night I went to a karaoke bar with uh, some friends and this random girl started talking to me and she told me, she asked me what I did, told her I was a personal trainer. She said, oh, I just hired one. I was like, all right, cool. And she told me her personal trainer got her on 900 calories a day. And I literally, like, my eyes just, like, nearly popped out. Because a lot of people, they think that it's 80% nutrition to the point where it's extreme. And that's why I don't like the 80-20 when people talk about it because they go to extreme methods. Just because it's 80% driven doesn't mean that it needs to be extreme. You know, like it's 80% proper nutrition, not just like reduced nutrition or reduced intake, mm. which I think just, you know, unrelated aside, I don't think that most personal trainers have any business assigning calories. Fair. I do it. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're like a more well-read and caring individual it's not just like uh, let's see these pounds come off all that matters is the weight loss like i think you care more about your client's progress yeah fair. whereas a lot of trainers it's like they want to lose weight i'm going to help them lose weight where the hell did you pull 900 calories from like how on earth could a, a trainer look at a human being who's exercising daily and be like yeah 900 yeah it's, it was ridiculous when i heard it and again it comes back to the whole people think they need to get to 100 percent completion when you only think 20% exercise over a seven-day period, you don't think more than a couple of days worth of training. Whereas if you think 80% of your nutrition, people think of weight loss in one way only, and that's these days it's calorie deficit. So if mm. you remove 80% of your nutrition, that, it seems like that's how people are taking it. Remove 80% rather than think about it for 80%. It's as if the only two things in the weight loss equation are fitness and nutrition. Yeah. 80% nutrition, 20% fitness, that's 100%. That's all weight loss. But there's sleep, there's stress, there's, you know, self-love and mental health. It's it, it's more of a diverse pie graph than it is a ratio. And that's why another reason why I don't think it's 80-20 because there needs to be percentages for everything else as well in life. Oh, I totally agree. I, I don't agree with the 80-20. I just think that's, you know, I was giving the, the yeah. debate of the side where it comes from and, so. and i get there's there's valid reason for sort of using it and i think sometimes even i use it as well i think it's more so when i think give something 20 percent. i think more so it's because people will have that all or nothing mentality and if they're not giving it 100 percent, it's not worth doing at all i can't remember when i said it it must have been a while ago but i think i asked someone would you rather go at something 100% for three or four weeks and get a very short-term result? Or would you rather do something for 20% for the rest of your life and get something far greater? You know, it's interesting to hear how many people would rather do the 100% all out and the people who would rather do the 20% for the rest of their life. I, I try to get all my clients in on a 
lose half a pound a week for a year, you're down 26 pounds, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, regain it over the next four months or two months, and you've lost zero pounds by the end of the year. Typically, when I use the 80-20 rule, it's about specifically nutrition. Yeah. 80% of the time, let's try to eat with a purpose. 20% of the time, let's build in those meals, those those decisions that are purely joy-driven. Mm. I'm doing this not because I think that getting a double cheeseburger from McDonald's is healthy in any way, shape, or form or going to help me lose weight, but – I want it. There's a nostalgia there. I used to go to McDonald's with, you know, whatever family member growing up and he died four years ago. So I'm going to, you know, that is not a nutritious, healthy weight loss driven decision. But though, if we don't build in, I love Cheez-Its. I eat Cheez-Its almost every day. We don't have any right now, but we still, we have like pretzels and popcorn things, foods and snacks that people would not immediately be like, Oh, what a healthy food. But I like them. So I build those into my life and I would rather lose less weight steadily doing the things I love on occasion rather than having this 100% all in every decision has to be healthy. So honestly, that's where 80-20 comes up more often than not in my practice is let's just try to have a purpose behind our foods. Is it helping me lose weight? Is it fueling the gym? Is there enough protein? Is the plate build right? Etc. Not it's all in on nutrition and then a little bit of exercise because I think that's bullshit. Yeah. Another way I use it is I say don't be afraid to apply 80% effort but give yourself 20% room for mistakes. Therefore, mm-hmm. you know, that's more for the people who do have that all or nothing mentality because they'll be thinking if it's not 100%, there's no point in doing it. But if you give yourself the 80%, I'll give it this much, but 20% opportunity to make mistakes. You're less likely to quit because you understand there are going to be setbacks. But a lot of people never prepare for setbacks. Therefore, they can never push past them and therefore end up stopping a lot sooner than they should. It's very difficult to convince people that health and nutrition and fitness and all these are on a dial or a gradient and not a switch. If you're at 2080, we can't jump to 8020. It's got like move to 5050, you know, slowly moving decision making in the right direction is the ticket, not like, oh, they said 8020, I got to be at 8020, you know. Yeah, that's like when people join the gym, instantly they're like, I'm going to go five days a week, five days a week, six days a week. I'm like, you've done nothing for the past five to 10 years and you want to go all out. It's like, give yourself some grace, you know, you've done nothing, but I get it, people get excited, there's this drive that they want to like hone in on, but we have to sometimes rein in those emotions because, you know, we wouldn't make a rash decision in other parts of our life just because we're excited, well we do, hence why we make mistakes, but you know, you would take a step back and think of a rational decision if you found your emotions were heightened. So sometimes we need to do that with our physical goals too. One way to to combat, and we actually have an episode planned for the extremity mindset, which is um, like the all or nothing extremity mindset, which we'll talk more in depth about. Imagine you having these same behaviors, judgments, thought process, uh, conversations, internal dialogues with a friend of yours. You didn't go to the gym five days this week. You're a piece of shit. Like if you said that to a friend, you would feel so bad. But you say that to yourself all the time. You know, like so trying to imagine this same thing being said, thought or felt 
towards someone else for the same behavior. And if it feels uncomfortable, like you shouldn't be doing that, then why are you doing it to yourself? I do think um, a lot of people need to, you know, we use the word grace, but a lot of people need to just appreciate the what they have achieved in a short period of time or a long period of time versus focus on the the two, 10 or 20% of what they've not achieved. And so sometimes the mentality is very backwards and we focus on what we haven't achieved versus what we have. Oh yeah, I think that's super normal. And yeah, I, being appreciative is a good way to phrase it. You know, I actually wrote while we were talking an episode as having grace with ourselves. And I think that's a good topic to talk about and what that means and how to do it. Yeah. I do want to circle back around before I forget the... 900 calories in case anybody's listening and they're like, oh, is that like if if you're a, a woman especially out there and have a sub 1200 calorie diet, I even think 1200 is too low for most women. Absolutely. Um, adult women. But if you are on a diet close to or below and I have quite a few clients, the calorie recommendation for a four year old female is 1200 calories a day. And so a fully grown woman eating less than that just think about that for a second. Just like it's a switch, not a dial. If you've been eating 4,000 calories a day, obviously an unknown number of calories, but weight gain calories, 4,000, whatever it is, you know, energy surplus of, of such an amount. And then you are handed one quarter of your current intake and said, eat this amount, lose weight. That is 0% sustainable. You're going to be miserable and hangry and feel starving and be uncomfortable. Like it is a dial backwards. If you're eating close to 4,000 calories, you should be eating 37 to 3,500 for a couple weeks and then 35 to 3,200 for a couple weeks and then slowly get down to a more appropriate weight loss intake. But to, to be a, third, a quarter to a third of your calories is what you are now allowed to eat is insane. Do you know what was the most mad part? Like, <laughs> it was weird in this karaoke bar. This girl just pulled out a MyFitnessPal to show me what she's eating. <laughs> working when you're not working, eh? Yeah. Um, but she had no um, choice of her food choices. She was given all of her foods to consume. And she told me that there was no vegetables at all to be consumed in her diet. How mad is that? 900 calories and zero vegetables? Yes. What the fuck was she eating? Uh, she showed me her dinner. It was basically a cracker and a small chocolate bar, like a little piece, a little square piece of a chocolate bar. That's all. But she told me she didn't tell her coach, but she removed the chocolate and she was having some veg on the side. What on earth could be his reasoning behind? I, I, I honestly, you should ask what this guy's name is because he's a fucking insane person absolutely well he, he knows zero scientific information and is just giving a hyper low calorie diet with what could on in what world could a small piece of chocolate and a cracker override the nutrition vegetables could and you oh it was it was hard to hear the conversation to be honest but do you know what's interesting the woman unfortunately after she had parted ways with her money had googled her trainer and actually found there was numerous numerous really bad reviews about this guy but unfortunately had already parted ways with her money and felt like she had to commit to the journey 
And so I felt bad Didn't for her. Google him before spending that. I money? know, but this is another lesson in this episode, I guess. Yeah. Do your research. We say Google's not research, but you're not going to find scientific research on a trainer. So Google can be research when you're looking for, you know, right. the recommendation of a trainer or something. And so when we say Google is not research, we're talking about science, but research can be done on people too. And that's not scientific. When I use Google to research science, but I know how to look for the, the studies, the peer-reviewed articles, and how to break down their I – I took a class called Research Design and Methodology, which tells you how to actually break down each component from the methods to the subjects. Is it a viable study? Did, what were the limitations? So it's not just this is the intervention, this is the result. What population was it done on? How many people? What's the you know statistical significance and things like that? Magnitude of effect. So there's a lot of detail in research articles. And then you get some of these blog posts that just take, we call them abstract scientists. They just take the results section or the abstract of the article and they discern information. Just a quick, under a minute, the where this gets convoluted is, so statistical significance is the likelihood that the effect was caused by the intervention. And if something is statistically significant, it means that they're 95% or more confident that weight loss was caused by green tea. Not how much weight loss, but that the weight that was lost was because of the green tea supplement given. That is what statistical significance means. In the green tea example, they lost 0.8 kilos over 12 weeks. They did not lose a significant amount of weight. The magnitude of effect was low. But statistically, that weight, that 0.8 kilograms, they're 95% confident that it's because of the green tea pill and not because of dietary changes or any other reason. So yes, it was significant, but they didn't lose a significant amount. So now we get very convolutedly, it's hard to discern, did they lose a significant amount of weight or was it significant, statistically significant that green tea caused weight loss? That's where we can get into it. Like this article said green tea causes weight loss. How much? How much were they taking? How often were they taking it? Was it a significant amount of weight? It set, and like you, that's where research gets very hazy if you don't know what to look for and how to dissect it. It's interesting because then all of a sudden you see on every package – oh, green tea is a fat burner, oh, drink green tea, green tea, green tea, green tea. And so all of a sudden, rather than people understanding how much was lost over what period of time or if anything, if it was significant or if it was tiny amount, everyone will just take that statement of green tea is a fat burner and run with it. And scientifically it is, but if I took a gram of green tea every day and lost two pounds, I would be pissed. You know, that's not a good amount of weight loss over 12 weeks. That's because you wouldn't have known how much fat you would lose with actual green tea. End all, be all, which I always say backwards. I know it's be all. You know, that's where the phrase the bee's knees comes from. The bee's knees. No, I don't. The bee's all that ends all got shortened to the bee's and ease and became the bee's knees. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the bee's knees is it is 80% be cool to yourself, 20% push yourself harder to like do better eat better train harder live better. have that progressive seek for improvement but you know more often than not just be cool with yourself i did a post today actually on my social saying be curious and i think uh 
that sort of fits in quite well there. Um, well, that's it for this episode. Sweet. And you can follow the podcast on A Healthy Debate Podcast on Instagram. Yep, and I will be getting a YouTube channel up if you want to watch the video as yeah, well. Yeah, very true. So. We will do. And we'll post like little yeah. clips of the highlights and stuff um, on on Instagram, YouTube, the whole work. So you can see our faces. Follow, like, subscribe, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Some of that Send stuff. Send money. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be good. And then um, obviously as we get more and more recorded, we'll get a better setup. And so you'll find some of the videos will be more like fancy. You'll see some good stuff. We'll have guests on so you can see some funny stuff. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, this is very ratchet and clank right now. We're just throwing <laughs> it. We're learning. We're, we're learning. This is our I, – I did a podcast and had someone else edit everything for, I don't know, maybe a couple months. And I like this the way this one's going. I like the shorter – we were hour-plus episodes, and wow. I like doing the 30-minute. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. We'll get better. We'll get more professional and – but we'll never change. Just know that. Never that. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. The next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at a healthy debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at a healthy debate.